This is Women Speak Cyber, the podcast with a diversity of ideas critical to solving the complex challenges of securing businesses and people today. We believe all voices need to be heard. Whether you're an aspiring speaker, leader, or wanting to advocate for others, join Louisa P and Louisa V and their special guests who will share tools, tips, and inspirational stories that will help you to speak cybersecurity with confidence and impact. So welcome to Angela Kamaru to the Women Speak Cyber podcast. We are so thrilled you've joined us for this chat. Welcome, Angela. Thank you so much. So happy and humbled to be here. And thank you for inviting me. This is delightful. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Is this your first podcast? Ever. Wow. Well, we're so happy you're here with us. And for those that don't know you, Angela, we'd, we'd love you to share a little bit about your career journey to date, you know, how, how you are, uh, find yourself, you know, working in the cybersecurity industry. So maybe you could take us through that journey. I was introduced to IT by my late brother. May he continue resting in peace. That was in 2001 after I finished my high school. So he encouraged me to do IT and helped me enroll into a Bachelor of Science Information Technology. And I loved it. And this is where my love for IT developed. I did that for like three years. And then I got a job in one of the biggest banks in Kenya. So where I became like a co-working system support specialist, then went off to offline system support, became a hardware engineer. That was amazing. <laughs> but that was only for like six, six to seven months. And then I went into the corporate world, but supporting the application in the corporate part of the bank, which really introduced me to customer support. Yeah. And then relocated to Australia to study Masters of Cybersecurity and leaving my 10-year-old daughter. That was the hardest part. At some point, I felt like a bad mother, leaving her behind. But then it's a sacrifice that I felt I needed to make, yeah, to give her a better future and, again, to follow my, my dreams. In my country, sometimes it's hard for the women to be allowed to follow their dreams. So, yeah, this was one of my dreams. Came here, completed my coursework. It was hard. Cybersecurity is not easy. Uh, the assignments killed me, but I enjoyed every part of it. And I currently thank my husband for helping me through that journey. After I graduated, I attended so many networking uh, events, including AWSN, Beside Perth. And you know what? That's why I got my first job. From a connect at Beside Path, and I really that that I would say it was a blessing, but again I would say it's through my perseverance and going out there and asking whether I get a no or not. I just persevered and went for it. So I got my first job in Australia as a senior service desk uh, technician at one of the IT companies in Australia. And that's where I started my journey in IT in Australia. I got a job in BHP as an IT specialist. Back in the day, mining was considered a male industry. I enjoyed every part of it, but deep down, I really wanted to be in cybersecurity. So I kept on nagging people in cybersecurity to just give me a chance, even volunteer for, you know, one day so that I can 
know what cybersecurity industry is all about because there's, it's different. Learning and actually working in the industry is, is, is different and I really wanted to, to experience that. So an opportunity came up of a secondment in the, in the company and I applied and I got it. And that's how I got into cybersecurity. It's a fabulous story. And yeah, just a testament to your perseverance and, you know, resilience that you never gave up on that, on that dream to get that first job. That's a fabulous story. And then from there, so from that first role, tell us a bit about what was it like going from the dream and, you know, the study to the being hands-on and doing, doing the role? What was different is in the way we were taught. In school, it's all about theory, but in the industry, it's hands-on. You're learning about different tools, different applications. How do you secure or how do you troubleshoot when a customer is irate and, you know, the customer wants things done his way and there and then. So I felt the support that I got from my bosses and the constant learning and the constant eagerness to learn and be the best was a big difference to me. And just the opportunity of, that I was given to actually work in, you know, in Australia. And I, I think it's music to our ears to hear that you landed in a good culture, right? That's one of the biggest challenges, especially in an industry that you're working in. Hearing what you, you mentioned too about the information security community over in WA, which is where you're based, it's just incredible. And that network is just so important in this industry. And everyone really does help everyone, which is, is wonderful. So I think they saw in you what we saw in you when we first came across you. So I'm, I'm actually not surprised that you won them all over. I was determined to get into the industry and I did. And what I say is that the worst thing they can say is just no and then move on to the next or ask again. If they say no, you just ask again if that's what you want or move on to somebody else or another organization. And for me, that was my motivation. And I think that tenacity is such an important skill in this industry, because a lot of what we have to do as well is kind of persuade people to take action, do things. So, you know, being tenacious yourself and never giving up is such an important skill in the reality of working in the cyber industry as well. And this constant learning in cybersecurity, no day is the same. It's a beautiful environment to be in. You don't grow old you get new things every day. You work on interesting things and that makes me happy. I think I'm still learning every day too. And I've been in this industry a long time. I think today was a really good example of I learned something completely new that I had never, I'd never known before. So yeah. I love that about this industry. But I love that there's people willing to teach you as well. It doesn't matter how long you've been around. Yes. There's always someone who's willing to explain it in a way that you can understand, which is wonderful. I know LV's in a new role at the moment, well, newish role, um, <laughs> and she's definitely in, on a learning curve. <laughs> oh, for sure, yes. And I agree with what Angela said. You know, you're always learning, and I've never been bored in this industry. And yes, yeah, I feel grateful to be here too. If I may ask, how do you manage going from one role to another, not knowing everything? At what point will I get comfortable to do my new role? So how do you manage that? I think you have to be 
comfortable with being uncomfortable. That's how I would describe it. And also use that curiosity that, you know, naturally people in this industry tend to have and ask questions and be curious about how things are done. All of those core skills that you already have because you're studied and you've got into the industry and you're, and you're, you're working in it, I think you just take those skills into the next role. You also get less concerned about saying, hey, I don't get that or sorry, I missed that. Would you mind just explaining it to me? You know, I, I work in a space now where there's a lot of really new acronyms. I have someone in our team who sends me messages when we're on calls breaking down the acronyms for me because it's just a, a space I've never worked in before. But I know, you know, there's a participant in uh, Project Friedman who's one of our youngest participants. I talk to her often and I think, gosh, I don't blame her at 20. I never would have been able to ask either. But now, you know, I'm you know, a bit past 20. Um, I definitely have a lot more confidence to say that went over my head. You're right. In a new role, it's hard to ask question over and over if you don't get it. If you don't ask, how are you going to know? And the right organisation and the right culture will support someone being able to ask. And thankfully, there's more of those organisations than not these days. Angela, we've heard, we've heard kind of a, about your journey to date and then we've heard a bit about this passion you had for cybersecurity. But you know what we're going to ask next. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> we, we want to hear about where that passion came from. Okay. Wow. So I experienced significant financial fraud, uh, which motivated me to relocate to Australia. It was always on my mind. Every time I, I worked in those roles in the bank, I wanted to do something in cybersecurity or I wanted to be in cybersecurity. And that my other why was uh, being a victim in identity theft, which eventually led me into cyber defense and operation. And I think just for context, Angela, you presented on these two whys as your first cybersecurity talk. I watched that talk, absolutely fascinating and so motivating to hear all about your why. So if you wouldn't mind, you know, sharing a bit about those, those stories, um, that, would be, that would be fabulous. I will just start with where my love for IT developed. Uh, and as I said before, it was, uh, I was encouraged by my late brother, where he helped me enroll in a bachelor's of IT. And I completed it in three years. And then I got into the banking system when I was where I worked as a Apple banking support specialist. For me, this was amazing because it was a full-time job and it paid better than all the other jobs that I had done or jobs uh, in the country. And I knew I would use what I was taught from school. The most important thing about working in the bank in the day is that because it made my parents proud because working in a bank was one of the most prestigious jobs in the country, followed by doctors, lawyers, and engineers. Mm. Well, this it was a big deal for me. A team of 70 energetic and motivated young men and women, and we were assigned to this project where we were moving from a legacy system into a co-banking system. We were trained on the new co-banking system. We knew the system in and out. 
we were put up in the best hotels in the country, going to different branches in the country and neighboring countries. You know, we lived that uh, prestigious life. We were living the life. We had fun. We were young. We had money. Life was good. In 2010, the project came to an end and then we were deployed to the branches. So we no longer had money. We no longer were living the good life. Most of us were sent to the branches as tellers where we handled money. Some of us handled money. You can imagine living a good life with money and then taken or deployed to a different branch, handling money, but not in your pocket or not in your bank. So this kind of felt like a demotion and most of us were demoralized. So without saying or giving a name, one of my colleagues decided to commit a financial fraud. He logged into the land support system that we had in the, in the day and got a password of a super user of the core banking system. So in essence, we didn't have the rights that we had before, but then we still had some access to some certain applications. So at this point, it is supposedly that John logged in, got the password, was able to create another profile and a super user profile. And he had all the rights. He could create a customer. He could create a fictitious user. So that's what he did. He created uh, two banks, erroneous banks. And with erroneous banks, you don't have users, you don't have managers, you don't have reports. So no one could verify any transactions going in and out of the bank. So he moved money from the vault to the banks, moved money from the accounts, and he was able to transfer over 90 million Kenya shillings, which is equivalent to 1.1 million Australian dollars. So at some point he was caught. It is said that he logged into the computer that he used to do his fraudulent activity with his standard user account. So I, I am sure the IT department was also monitoring the transactions and they could tell there were more transactions than the balances that they had. I want to believe so. So this time round, he was caught. Police came to the branches, got him. He was questioned and released on a two million Kenya shillings, which I believe he had. You know, so he paid and he was caught free. Apparently, he's done so many other frauds in, in the bank, uh, not in different banks and in different organizations, but he's still free. The case is still in court and still at large. So that experience or that knowing a person who was very smart, he was actually very quiet, kind of got me curious about, you know, protecting the bank's asset resources and I knew from then on, I knew I wanted to do cybersecurity. I wanted to protect the bank or any other department or any other organization that I worked in. Yeah, so that was my first why. I don't think there's too many people who've, you know, ha- had that sort of exposure, I guess, to that situation in, in work. And then for you, you know, I think that says so much about you as a person that turned into a, I really want to protect the bank. 
it drove you to want to do that, which is absolutely fabulous. And I have so many questions, like how how did he, you know, how was he able to transfer over 19 million, you know, shillings? Although some of it was recovered, but a big chunk also went to different users and they were able to like withdraw from banks, like legit bank accounts and transactions. It's, it was just I would say amazing because it was fraud, but I had a lot of questions. And you can't really say amazing considering he actually got caught. So he didn't do a great job. (laughs) (laughs) I would say it was fascinating. Then we didn't know about cybersecurity or else I didn't know about cybersecurity and hackers. That's when I actually, I read more about what happened and fraud and cybersecurity and hackers, you know, it just fascinated me and I wanted to dive in into cybersecurity. And there's that curiosity. So you got the aha moment when you were kind of like, I want to protect. And then there's the curiosity. Okay, all the questions, like how did this happen? And the research you then went and did, that's fabulous. So all of those kind of core ingredients were there. That actually motivated me to move to Australia because then we didn't have a a solid or structured cybersecurity course. My brother was living then in UK and encouraged me, you know what, come to UK, there are a lot of IT jobs and they pay well. But then again, somebody else convinced me to come to Australia and the first course I applied for was cybersecurity. And I didn't look back, came to Australia and started studying cybersecurity. My second why was personal happened to to me and my husband. So after I completed my coursework, I found the love of my life and decided to go back home. We have this dowry ceremony that Africans do. So to meet my parents and wanted to save on money on flights. So we reached out to, I reached out to a friend of mine who told me he knew a guy who could get us cheap flights. I didn't hesitate because she was a family friend. I was like, oh, You've traveled to Kenya so many times. I'm like, okay, why not? So we booked tickets and we got them at half price, both of us. So for us, we felt it was a good bargain. And we went to Kenya. My husband's business partner was contacted by an agent from Australia, like a travel agent from Australia. He wanted to get a hold of my husband, claimed that my husband used fraudulent cards to pay for our flights. So... We didn't, we didn't worry about it because we knew we used somebody else to pay for our flights and we didn't use our credit cards. My husband didn't have any like Amex cards or the cards that the lady was saying that uh, my husband used. We dismissed it and then the following day, the same agent sent an email to my husband about you know the same issue and she believed that we used fraudulent cards to pay for our tickets. She wanted to know whether we could pay her back whatever amount we had used for the tickets. This kind of got us worried and then decided to, to check our flights back to Australia. And by checking, we found that they were cancelled. We reached out to the guy who booked the flights for us and he was like, you know, there's nothing to worry about. He rebooked and we confirmed our flights back to Perth. And life continued, enjoyed the rest of the holiday. But I couldn't shake that feeling that there was actually something wrong or something wrong was happening 
So when you go to Australia, I remember it was on the 25th of January, 2018, past the border security, we were pulled to the side. We were asked questions like where we were from, why we went to Kenya. And we had evidence of, you know, the celebration, the dowry ceremony. And again, now the biggest question came and the officers asked me what visa I had. So at the point I had a student visa. That got me worried because I knew if, if they suspected of anything, they would deport me back to Kenya. I didn't want that. So we gave all the information that we had and they told us to wait. We waited there for like two hours, just wondering what he had done. I asked my husband whether he's ever done something, you know, whether that he's ever done something wrong for them to hold us there. So we waited for like three hours and then these two officers came with two sheets of paper and with uh, passport photos, like fake passport bio pages. One with my name and another one with my husband's name. That was scary. I never knew anyone could do that. And considering I had done a cyber security course, I should have been the last person to actually fall into a, an identity theft. It was crazy. So they asked for our passports. They asked to see our phones. They asked to, you know, for any evidence. And they could clearly tell that these other passports were fake. Ours were legit. Uh, they told us that a man and a woman wanted to come to Australia using our identities. Did those people come on the original tickets that were cancelled or...? They couldn't tell us anything. We actually did ask them questions. They were like, you know what, this case is under investigation. We can't tell you any information about it. Uh, we just needed to verify your identities and let you go. But then again, they let us go and advise us to change our passwords, application, banking, pins, everything. When we were let go, we thought that was the end. Three months later, my husband was sued by this agent. So they wanted an amount of 6,540, which was equivalent to the flights from Kenya to and from. For us, we had all the evidence. I had conversation with the, the person that we booked the flight with and we presented ourselves to the court, both uh, my husband and I. And the magistrate could clearly see that it was the right uh, identities and these other ones were fake identities and that the travel agent failed to do due diligence on the customers they got. And the fact that we had paid a substantial amount towards the ticket, the case was dismissed. I'm so glad for you that it was, you know, eventually. But the whole thing that you had to go through to get there, I can't imagine how that must have felt. It was scary and hard. And the fact that I couldn't get a job because of that, because it took... My graduate visa took two years to be approved. And normally graduate visas take at most three months. But mine took two years to be approved. And my hope was immediately uh, my visa is approved. I could bring my daughter to Australia. So it took two good years for it to be approved. I couldn't get a job on a bridging visa. No one could employ me because it was not a valid working visa. It was hard. And we tried to reach out to our friends who got the ticket for us. They ignored us. We suspected it was them, but then we really didn't want to dwell 
on that. So we just moved on. I did a couple of casual jobs. I did kitchen hand. I cleaned. I was a cleaner. You know, I even attempted to <laughs> to work as a in a nursing home. I just went for one day. I couldn't. <laughs> I can't imagine that you sat around in two years. You're, you're certainly not that kind of person. But wow, two years, that's crazy. Yes, and I had to pay rent, I had to eat, you know. That's why I say I thank my husband for, you know, supporting me through that hard time. So many times I applied for a job and got regrets. There's once I got a regret for uh, a kitchen hand job and called my father and was like, do they know you've been cleaning, you know, you've been washing dishes since you were born, you know, since you were... I, I do want to just say, you know, you said I studied cybersecurity. I should, but but honestly, it can happen to anyone. And actually, the power of you telling this story has it, it, it's so much more powerful because it shows it can happen to anyone. You know, you're clearly incredibly intelligent person. These things can happen to anyone, and these stories are so important in particular when they come from cybersecurity professionals because people go, oh, if it can happen to you, it can happen to me. Then I need to care. It's not the same, but I always tell the story that I fell for a phishing email at work because then people go, oh, if you can, I could. Okay, now I'm listening. And and we are human, you know. Oh, look, I'm not ashamed to admit I've fallen for the odd uh, phishing scam just in a test environment, but I definitely failed and I remember talking to the CISO of my organization and falling on my sword to say that I had indeed failed. But I will say that it was around shopping and I do tend to do a little bit of online shopping. So, you know, getting an Australia Post notification is not unusual for me. Angela, thank you so much for sharing those two wives. They're so so powerful and you know, you presented them at ComfyCon. Yes, I did. Which was fabulous. But tell us tell us about your journey to ComfyCon. First of all, I want to thank you, LV and LP, for this, for the platform, for coming up with Women Speak Cyber. And I remember I saw the invitation in AWSN, that is Australia Women in Security Network. I was like, you know what? I've always wanted to share information or share my story, but I was too scared. I've always been a wreck at public speaking and actually finding the content to, you know, speak about. So I applied and yay, I I got in. (laughs) That was amazing. I loved it. 20 beautiful women and two great coaches. That was amazing. And we were taught about objectives, how to create structure. We had a one-on-one with the best coaches that I know, public speaking coaches that I know. We were just going through, you know, my life and the content. And I remember her asking me what I wanted to talk about. I was like, oh, nothing. And then she prompted me, like, okay, why did you come to Australia? Why did you want to study cybersecurity? And you know what? I remembered all these experiences like what I've been sitting on these stories. <laughs> I was so excited. I remember I, I, I was so happy that I had found content and with Project Friedman, we were taught about structure, uh, objectives, 
how to present, use visual diagrams and getting messages. And we actually got to practice in the meetings and we spoke about nerves. And what I came to find out is that everyone gets nerves. So many people are scared, even the best speakers in the world were once nervous about speaking in public, you know, and that is what encouraged me. And I believe as women, we, we get scared of being judged or of failing a lot. And we sometimes think like, you know, I'm the only one who's scared. I'm the only one who fails. But again, it, it felt comforting being in a team where it was normal for everyone to be afraid, to be nervous at public speaking. And that journey was exceptional. It was amazing. I don't think we've had one person on this podcast yet who's actually said, I love public speaking. Genuinely, every single person has had something that they don't like about it, but all have accepted that it's something that they need to do and they have found their way to be comfortable doing it. That's our hope with with Project Friedman and our Women Speak Cyber Project is that we can just help you find that confidence to be comfortable and if you can, get some enjoyment out of sharing your message with other people. You know, that's all we can ever hope for. I think ConfiCon is such a supportive and really encouraging environment, especially for first-time speakers. And Shana, who we've had on the podcast, and Ian, were just so excited to have some of our first-time speakers because they're, they're really keen to get new messages and new stories out there. How was the experience with it being a virtual event for you? Well, I did it. I was like, no, what? first time speaking publicly and uh, virtually. I've been doing meetings virtually. Why not? I thank Emily for encouraging me, LV, LP for encouraging, encouraging me to go to or to actually present at ConfiCon and it felt comfortable presenting. It made me feel at ease of, you know what, even though I make a mistake, it's not a big deal. <laughs> it actually humanized presentation. And that's what I loved about ConfiCon. It needs, still needs to feel natural. You know, I think we've, we've also heard speakers who've just got that word for word speech. And I remember I've had some coaching from Emily to Angela. I took away so many things. But one of them was don't memorize everything. Just know your key points. She got me to rehearse it a number of times. She said, it's going to sound different every single time. And that's totally fine because you, you, you just want to nail those points. It doesn't matter what kind of how you say it, as long as you get those across. And she made it comfortable to not have that, you know, complete exact speech written and remembered. And that actually made it more comfortable to present. I don't know how you found it, Angela, in that sense. I remember what she told me was, what do you want your audience to know? What do you want to tell your audience? Then tell them that. If you forget something, that's fine. You're the only person who knows what you've forgotten. They don't know. No one's going to know that you switched your bullet points no. around. <laughs> made it easy for me to present and really want to present. So the next question yeah. is, are you going to do it again? Well, you know, Angela's in a, in a unique situation where she's kind of been locked up on the Western side of our country for a long time with COVID restrictions. So I know that life is starting to get back into normality for you guys over there too, and you're able to come and 
come and go to events over here. So that's what we're excited about now, along with you know, quite a few of our Project Freedman participants who have not been able to present in person because of border restrictions, travel restrictions, is now seeing you all standing up on stages in a room of people and presenting because you've done it once. You know, you know how to do it. <laughs> Who's your next audience? I've been thinking about the Melbourne B side. And they and they have some great programs to help people to get there and to present because they too really want that diversity in topics and ideas and presenters and, you know, new. So, yeah, we would strongly encourage you to look at something like that. Yeah, why not? What I've been doing, I believe charity begins at home. So as a community, we hold preteens and teenagers ball every beginning of the year. So I present cyberbullying as in how to protect yourself or the, the teenagers uh, how to stay safe online. So that has been good practice for me. And you know what? Beside Melbourne, here I go. <laughs> Do it. That would be amazing. Yeah. And Angela, your talk has impact. We know that because at ComfyCon, in the Discord chat, everyone was chatting about what their why was after your talk why they were in cyber and what, what drove them. You know, your talk has impact and that's, I guess, the ultimate goal, right? That's what Emily teaches you is what do you want your audience to walk away with? Lydia says, what are they going to do on Monday morning? About your why. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. We're almost out of time, Angela, but first of all, I want to ask if anybody wants to follow you. Are you on social media at all? LinkedIn as Angela K or Angela Kamaru. You'll be able to find me there. And Twitter is Angie Kamaru. You will find me on Twitter. Fabulous. And the second thing we wanted to do was just thank you so much for being such an awesome podcast guest for your first podcast and for being an amazing Project Friedman participant for just really committing to it and being, you know, part of it as well. Um, thank you so much for that. Thank you. Thank you. It's been an honor. I've been humbled. I can, you know, it's been a blessing. It's a good opportunity to just get myself out there. And I believe every woman needs to get this opportunity, get out, you know, get out of your comfort zone and do it. What's the worst that can happen? And again, what's the best that can happen? A lot can happen. Yeah, yeah. So true. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. This podcast has been made possible thanks to sponsorship from the Australian Signals Directorate. For updates on Women Speak Cyber and our initiatives to help elevate, grow and retain women speakers in cybersecurity, follow us on Twitter at Women Speak Cyber or find us on LinkedIn.